Hi, everybody. Welcome to Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to the works of writer, director, producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I am your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inestroza. We are doing our Lost Rewatch right now. We are in Season 2. Today on the pod, we'll be talking about Episodes 11, 12, and 13 of the second season of Lost. The first episode, Episode 11, The Hunting Party, is a Jack flashback episode. Marcelo, how did you like The Hunting Party? I really enjoyed The Hunting Party because of the Jack flashback aspect of it. I really liked the story of this French sort of diplomat guy coming to Jack because uh, apparently he has a unoperable tumor and he came to Jack after he read in the newspaper that Jack saved a woman who suffered from spinal surgery and made her walk again. So I really enjoyed that storyline for what it actually made Jack almost do it. It made him almost cheat on his wife who he just recently married. I didn't really like the storyline with Michael. I thought that Michael's sudden turn to actually assaulting Locke in the armory and stealing an AK-47 and basically running off in the woods. I thought that was a pretty violent turn. With that being said, I did kind of see it coming because in the couple episodes before this, we did see those couple scenes when uh, Michael apparently spoke to Walt using the hatch computer, but... I kind of didn't buy his sudden turn to being all Rambo and just being so obsessed with getting his son back that he would do something so rash. So I did not vibe with that at all. The one interesting scene in this episode is when Sawyer, Locke, and Jack are running through the woods after Michael and somebody fires off a gun in the woods. Jack shouts for Michael, but that particular scene where he shouts for Michael sounds like ADR to me. It's the first time in the series that I've noticed an audio clip where it doesn't seem like that specific audio clip fits. Did you hear his shout from Michael the way I did? Or is that just me? No, I think you're right. It probably was ADR that they added in later and it was probably just for the sake of clarity. It throws us off the scent for an extra second of who might actually be in the jungle with them. And also it shows that, you know, they're still on the path for Michael. So if there's any interaction, the first thing they would jump to was that it could be Michael. So I do think that, that was added probably after just to sort of clarify Jack's headspace in those moments. Yeah, no, And uh, look, Jack has always been a level-headed guy, but I really didn't like... In the flashbacks with the daughter of the French diplomat that Jack is trying to save, he is particularly very, very flirty in these flashbacks. When the flashback ultimately wraps up and Jack actually loses the patient, he actually has a meeting with this guy's daughter in the parking lot to where he basically kisses her and then he goes back to his wife and then he admits what he has done to his wife who apparently was thinking about leaving him and, and basically cheated on him. You guys probably know what I'm going to say. I don't like when people aren't loyal to their spouses. And even if Jack came into that marriage out of obligation, I still wanted him to show some sense of loyalty to this woman who sort of just fell in love with him because of the miracle that he pulled off. 
if you were married to Julie Bowen, you would be a fool to let her go, I think is something that a lot of people could relate to, especially because everything we've seen of Sarah, she's funny, she's kind, she seems like a really good person. And the fact that Jack is only with her because of this obligation and his longing to fix people is frustrating and is a very big character flaw of Jack's. And in those flashbacks, before those final moments, we see her tell him that she thought for a minute she might be pregnant, but she's not. The pregnancy test was negative, and the look of relief on his face says everything about their relationship and really tells us that things are not as good with this marriage as we would hope. And in those small moments, it lets us know that these are two people who, even if they had a good relationship previous, obviously where we are now, things have deteriorated. So this whole thing with Gabriella and her father, the trauma of that, and then in those final moments when Jack tells her that her father is dead, they kiss. It's tough because we understand like Jack is coming from a place of trying to be the hero, trying to be the miracle worker. And when it fails emotionally, he doesn't know how to handle it because he's been trying to live up to this image of miracle worker. And now reality has set in again. And part of that reality is that things with him and Sarah at home are not good. When he goes home and he comes clean to Sarah, it's a nice moment because it does show that Jack still has some integrity, so he's not a cheating bastard who's gonna hide it, but also it's too late. He has realized all of this too late. Sarah has already decided to move on because Jack seems like a lost cause to her. And that's something that is foreign to Jack because lost cause is not really something in his vocabulary. So I thought this whole flashback sequence was very interesting and did speak to a lot of that Jack feeling the need to fix people, his weird emotional attachments to the people that he saved, and how all that plays out in a detrimental way that puts him in a worse spot than he was before, knowing that all of these events will lead to the trauma of his dad's death, his wife left him. It's a lot to take in, but it adds a lot of layers, and Matthew Fox is so good in these moments, even when he doesn't have a lot of lines, just the looks on it that he gives, and him and Julie Bowen together in that scene where she's like, I'm, I'm done, that's why my mom was here, was some really good acting and really sold the understated emotion of those moments of the dissolution of their marriage. So I thought that was really well done. The only thing that I will say to sort of echo those points is that I love the line that Sarah says to Jack before she leaves the apartment. She goes, you'll always need someone to fix. And I think that's an inherent problem that Jack has had in his soul ever since he was a kid. And I think that came from the fact that Christian never gave Jack the love and support that he needed and he never gave Jack that pat on the back the support that he needed and he never gave the love that he needed but in that same aspect I sort of blame Christian for doing that but I sort of don't because if Christian would have given Jack the love that he needed when he was a child he probably wouldn't have been able to handle all the situations and all the crucibles that he has gone through on the island yeah I think that's a good point it does speak to, you know, everything in his upbringing, good and bad, is now being put to use on the island. And that's part of the beauty of Lost is that the reason we flash back is to see the parallels between those past moments and how they affect them in the present. 
and a lot of it goes to these characters wouldn't be the same if they hadn't gone through what they went through. On the island, you know, you spoke earlier about Michael going after Walt and the jump from Michael being level-headed to knocking Jack and Locke out, stealing a gun and going off in the jungle. And they have tried to slowly build it with him talking to Walt on the Hatch computer. But at this point, everyone has been through so much. I feel like Michael could have just been honest with them and said, I have been talking to Walt on the computer. He told me where he is. I need to go and get him. And I don't think he would have been met with much resistance from everybody in those moments. So it is weird that he goes from zero to 60, turns on everyone thinking that he just has to go in like this weird paranoid Rambo alone in the jungle moment because he's been through so much with all these people. If he had just taken a minute to talk to them, they could have worked out a plan. This leads everyone to then have to follow Michael yet again, which is a recurring theme in this season. Like, oh, where's Michael? Oh, he disappeared. Oh, we got to go find him. So it starts to get a little bit repetitive because there's been so many episodes early in the season of trying to track Michael. But the fun part is that this time there's some great banter because we've got Jack, Locke, and Sawyer. And I like when Locke and Sawyer have a talk about where Sawyer got his name from because Locke has seen the manifest. So I love that. Jack and Sawyer still don't get along. And then that moment at night, in the jungle, the shot rings out, and finally, Mr. Friendly reveals himself, the big bearded dude from the raft. This conversation that plays out is really interesting, gives us a lot of information that we didn't have, raises even more questions about the others. Alex is referenced, and in that moment where Jack is kind of calling this guy's bluff and says, I think we have you outnumbered. I don't believe that there's like a ton of you, so I don't have to listen to anything you're saying right now. Just when the guy goes, light him up and all the torches light. Oh no, Jack called bullshit and he was wrong. <laughs> and I, I remember this being one of those like, what is happening on this island moments? Crazy added so many more questions about the others and what is happening that to this point, even more now, like how many people are on this island? It's getting insane with the amount of people when we thought there was maybe a couple. So that was very intriguing, added a lot to the mythology and mystery of Lost Season 2. It's actually getting a little crowded, wouldn't you say, Matt? 100%. That meeting between Mr. Friendly, Locke, Jack, and Sawyer was fantastic. And I particularly liked the sort of speech that Mr. Friendly gave. Basically says, if someone comes to your house, eats your food, steals your laundry, and basically drinks your water, wouldn't you be mad? Throughout the entire speech, I'm going, okay, how long have you guys been here? Why are you here? How did you get here? So the first time that I saw this episode and, you know, Jack, to back up one of your points again, when Jack basically calls Mr. Friendly's bluff and he goes, light, light him up. I was like, oh, this guy's a badass. You know, Jack better back down or he's going to get himself shot. But the device that Mr. Friendly uses to sort of sway Jack to give up his guns is I thought I when I first saw this episode, I had no idea that Kate would be that stupid. Looking at what her character has done to this point, I should have known better. And I should have said, of course, when somebody tells Kate not to do something, what is she going to do? I really enjoyed this episode. But the thing that I enjoyed the most is the flashback story that Jack had to endure. Yeah, I thought the flashbacks were the best part. That Kate not listening is kind of like Michael charging off in the jungle when everybody tells him not to. It's the same thing. It's a character trait that at this point has happened so often, it's really starting to get annoying. Just listen to the group 
and stop thinking that you know better because every time she thinks she knows better and doesn't listen to the advice of everyone else, it ends up being for the worse. So that is one of those things that I was getting frustrated with by the time this episode wraps up. And the final scene of this episode was really nice where Jack and Anna Lucia are talking on the beach and he asks her how long it would take to build an army, which then leads into our next episode, episode 12, Fire and Water, which is a Charlie flashback episode that gives us more information about Charlie's drug days, the decline of drive shaft, and how things go so wrong for him and start to turn around for his brother Liam. And I thought that the flashbacks in this one were really sad and heartbreaking where Liam's wife has a baby and it starts with the the birth of Megan and everybody's happy about that but Liam misses the birth because he's still strung out and Charlie is the one who's like saying you got to step up you've got to do better I need you to realize you have a daughter now you've got to do better and as the episode goes on and drive shaft continues to struggle and is doing a horrible diaper ad which is hilarious but sad and pathetic in those moments finally Liam gets his life back together by selling Charlie's piano for money to fly and go to rehab and get his life in order it's heartbreaking that there's never a moment where Liam realizes that if he's going to build his family and get clean he needs to take Charlie with him and that like broke my heart that he didn't say brother you're coming with me we're both going to rehab because this is a bad situation for both of us you are my family we need to do this together and I thought like that was so painful in the Charlie flashbacks that he was looking out for his brother even when he was strung out, but his brother was never really looking out for him and was the most interesting part of an episode that I found to be the weakest of the three that we watched this week. This episode really hit home with me because seeing Charlie trying to get everyone on the island to believe that he was sleepwalking and that he wasn't stealing Claire's baby out of malice was really frustrating to me. And and the reason why it hit home with me so much, I had a family member in my family who had a long battle with cocaine addiction. And after finding this out, after they passed away, it was very strange to me that those people closest to me in my family didn't tell me about it. And I think the reason that they didn't tell me about it was they didn't want my image of this particular family member to be tarnished or to be ashamed. But when I found out about it, I was ultimately proud of this family member because of what he did and the fact that he actually got clean. And the only way he did that was for people in this family to be behind him and to support him. And I felt in this episode that nobody really gave Charlie a second thought and nobody was behind Charlie when he was having those nightmares about Aaron not being safe and constantly tried to reach out to people but it was like nobody would listen to him so that to me was the biggest failure uh, from the losties in this episode that nobody really stuck out their neck for Charlie the one person that initially got Charlie off of the heroin ends up sort of betraying Charlie in some aspects now his betrayal is warranted because Charlie lied to him about having an extra stash of drugs but if you really want a person to get better you have to support them and you have to sort of forget what they've done in the past and I found the failure of the other losties on the island in present day to be sort of disturbing and sort of bothering to me yeah they really didn't give Charlie the support that he needed 
needed in those moments. The empathy and compassion just wasn't there. Part of it, I think, is that a lot of people do have a stigma against recovering addicts and addicts, and that is like something in our society. So Lost was kind of trying to expose the hypocrisy of that, but we have come to expect more from our group on the island, so it did feel out of character for a lot of them to not take the time to investigate and give Charlie the benefit of the doubt. I was frustrated that sometimes Lost goes a little bit too far in weird directions for me, and you know, the Kate and the horse and the spirit of Wayne stuff that I hated is kind of similar to this Charlie having these nightmares where he then wakes up holding Aaron after he's kidnapped him sleepwalking. And it's like, okay, there's so much weird stuff I'm willing to buy, but then other stuff I'm just not down for. And this was really just frustrating to me. It felt like they wanted to really shatter the relationship between Charlie and Claire in a more permanent way. And this was their easiest way to do it. But to me, I didn't like the choice. So I found it frustrating. And again, still frustrating as the Virgin Mary statues come back in and like, is Charlie using again? Is he not? Just stuff that I'm so wrapped up in everything else that's happening on Lost. I didn't need this storyline that's kind of grounded in this like harsh reality of addiction and people recovering and are they lying can you trust them it really frustrated me but part of it was that they wanted to eventually get to that part where echo baptizes claire and aaron and this was a device to make that happen but when lost gets a little bit too philosophical or a little bit too overtly religious, sometimes it, it grates on me a little bit. I did like when Hurley keeps asking about this Libby chick and him and Libby start to maybe have something start going on. I thought that was cute and like a funny, funny diversion from an episode that otherwise is quite serious, quite heavy. And man, what a waste of a piano. <laughs> when Charlie's having that dream where that piano got wrecked. And I'm like, man, even the production would have bought this piano and they just destroy it by playing it in the ocean. Pissed me off. Made me made me frustrated and angry. But by the end of this episode, it puts Charlie in a frustrated and dark place, which will come into play in the next episode in a big way. So I understand where they wanted to go from point A to point B with Charlie in this episode, but I just didn't like the way that they got there. I hear you, man. The other thing that made my head spin was like, okay, uh, Locke takes the Virgin Mary statues away from Charlie. And then he basically walks them to the hatch and he puts them in the gun locker. And I'm like, why in the world would you do something like that? Why don't you just get rid of them? Why don't you just burn them? I definitely see the argument of they should burn the heroin, but also... The only thing that keeps running in my mind is if they needed to use it as like a painkiller for Jack to perform another surgery, which sounds horrible because you wouldn't want to get anyone hooked on heroin, but it's one of those things that they have so few resources that maybe you want to keep it just in case, but they do discuss it more in episode 13, The Long Con, which is a Sawyer flashback episode. This one gives us more explanation on those statues. Marcelo, did you buy the explanation when Locke is having that talk with Jack in the hatch? No, I did not buy it because like you just said, even if someone gets gravely ill 
on the island because of an accident, the last thing you want to do is get someone hooked on heroin. With that being said, I think that Jack being the physician that he is and the miracle worker that he is, he would know the exact dose to give someone without getting them hooked on heroin. But I really did not like that quick sort of throwaway explanation. The thing that I absolutely loved about this episode is that Lost since season one has been so many things, but I feel that in this particular episode, Lost did a really good job at structuring the whodunit story with Sun uh, mysteriously being attacked in her garden and then the entire Lostie is basically running a whodunit game. And the first time I saw this episode, I was shocked when we found out who was the overall architect behind this attack on Sun. And I was like, okay, that's earned. But I really didn't particularly like James's involvement in this whodunit sort of plot because although from the start of the series we understand that James can be a racist asshole but he does have qualities that would make us sympathize with him and I feel that he is fighting the good part of him to maintain the con man version of him and, and to maintain the charming part of him so I really didn't appreciate that yeah I can definitely see that angle and I think it's funny because this season they have made Sawyer a lot more likable I think as the journey has gone on so he is still a scoundrel a liar but he's done a lot of good stuff and they've given him because he's been in danger he's been injured he's been more sympathetic and this episode they're like well we don't want him too sympathetic and we're gonna have this whodunit on the island and then we're gonna pull the rug out from under you with the final reveal the whodunit on the island I really liked because Obviously, the red herring is that Anna Lucia did this to Sun to rally the troops against the others. Because at this point, they have agreed with the others that they are not going to interfere. They are not going to cross that line in the jungle. And Anna Lucia and Jack still think that they need an army, that they need to go after these people rather than just be passive. So the whole red herring makes sense because of all the information we have. When the guns go missing at the same time, that Sun had been attacked, it feels like this is all some sort of Anna Lucia plan to rally the troops against the others. And when it is finally revealed that it was Sawyer working with Charlie, who now has nothing to lose, it is one of those great like, oh man, Sawyer is such a bastard moments. And it's hard to see it because we've come to like him a lot more this season, but also it reminds you, don't throw away everything you know about these characters just because they've been likable for a couple of episodes. So I thought that was good. Charlie is now in this low point where even if the only person he can connect with is Sawyer, he just needs something to do. He needed some way to feel useful and of value and to stick it to Jack and Locke who have been no help to him. If anything, Locke has been detrimental because Charlie sees Locke infringing on the Claire-Aaron relationship and he did it because he wanted to make him look like a fool, which was really dark motive of Charlie's but I liked it because it was unexpected previous episodes of Sawyer flashbacks have been amongst my favorites this still the flashbacks are really good he is with this beautiful woman named Cassidy who calls him out on his BS attempt to pull the same con on her that he did on Jessica Cassidy played by Kim Dickens uh, from Deadwood and Friday Night Lights great actress and we see 
her and Sawyer start to bond. This woman who was supposed to be a mark, but now she's fascinated by the art of the con. And Sawyer starts to teach her how to pull cons. And he tells her, like, the, the best thing you can do is the long con, where you play a long con to get a very big sum of money. Instead of nickel and diamond people at a gas station for necklaces, this is the way that you do something to get a really big score. And through this teaching of her, we see that their relationship is growing and that they are falling in love. And there are moments where it seems like Sawyer doesn't want to continue with this con against Cassidy because his conscience is getting the better of him. And he meets with his partner, Gordy, played by Kevin Dunn from Transformers and Veep, who's also good in just that one scene. And he says, you got to do the job or I'm going to kill you both. In those final moments in the flashback, it seems like Sawyer is reformed and him and Cassidy are in love and they're going to go off and evade Gordy and just say, screw it. But we see that is not the plan and Sawyer has done a switcheroo and he has stolen all of her money. He did go through with the long con and even though he was upfront about it, she was still the mark. I thought that was a really nice, like, oh my God, what a bastard moment. But of course, that's the old James. But everything he does on the island in this episode shows a leopard can't change its spots. So I did think that the way that the flashbacks worked intercut with Sawyer's insane plan on the island was really nice. The Sawyer flashback episodes are amongst my favorite. This episode had some great moments. The one thing that I had running through my head while I was watching James's behavior, both in the flashbacks and on the island in present day, I kept saying to myself, why are you trying to be such a asshole? What, what are you trying to prove to either the others or to yourself? I couldn't wrap it around my head because I know the good man that James is going to become in the future. And I think that that played a large part into me being so disappointed with James's behavior in the flashbacks and on the island in present day. I did love the final scene in this episode where, you know, it's finally revealed that Charlie is the mastermind behind this whole whodunit thing. And James offers him one of the religious statues. And he goes, I didn't do it because I wanted my drugs. I did it because I wanted to make John Locke look like an ass. You know, the first time I saw this episode, I didn't know Charlie's fate, but seeing it now, I'm wondering, do you think that the writers knew what they were going to do with Charlie? Is that why they made him suffer so much? Probably. I'm sure that it was one of those things that they mapped out early. Yeah. And the other thing, the uh, James's relationship with this young woman really didn't affect me that much. The first time I really bought into their relationship, but this time around, the only thing that I had running through my head is, I can't wait for a specific blonde woman to show up and really put James on another path. But that's a story for another time. The last thing I'll say about this episode is that I did like when Sam with Wiki's dad showed up as James's partner. I thought that was perfect. Yeah, he was great. In that small scene, does so much. That actor is one of the, the great character actors, so I really dug that. The only thing I'll just mention before we close this out, Sawyer gives that speech. Listen up, because I'm only going to say this once. Blah, blah, blah. The sheriff, there's a new sheriff in town and y'all better get used to it. Where he says, you guys took all of my crap. When I left to try and save you, I'm the captain now. I thought that was great because he could have kept this all secret and in shadow, but but he wants to have this moment where he says, hey guys, screw you. And that was like a classic Sawyer moment. And the other thing of note is kind of a throwaway scene where Hurley is at a campfire and he's reading the manuscript for a novel called Bad Twin, which was actually 
a novel that they did put out as a lost tie-in that I, of course, bought the day it came out and read right away. And it has nothing to do with Lost, and it really only has, like, very light illusions to anything to do with Lost. It's like a detective book and a, a mystery. But that was one of those things where Lost tried to expand their universe and mystery into other forms. In this case, a novel that was in the show that then actually was in real life. You could go and buy that novel. And that was kind of interesting and cool in terms of expanding a universe beyond just the TV show that you were watching and something that a lot of things have done since. I know the last thing that I'll say before you take us home, Matt, is that I found it very interesting in that scene with Hurley and Saeed. After Saeed finds a local radio station, Hurley makes an interesting comment that it could be from anywhere or any time. And I was like, ooh, is that a reference to what's going to happen later? So that is episodes 11, 12, and 13 of Lost Season 2. If you are doing a Lost rewatch along with us next week, we will be talking about episode 14, 15, and 16. So those are the ones to watch this week. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate everyone who tunes into the show. If you have any questions or comments, tweet on Twitter using the hashtag Radio815. We will read your comments on the show. If you have any questions or want to get in touch with me directly on twitter at matt crandall marcello twitter is the best place for them to reach you what is your handle on there i'm at creek fanatic 88 all right that'll do it for this week thanks a lot for listening and until next time radio 815 over and out <laughs>